0: This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking to attorney Marilyn Lamar, a partner at Listen Lamar. Thanks for joining us today, Marilyn.
1: Thank you very much, Howard.
0: So what are the most critical security risks that should be considered before implementing cloud computing, and how do those risks differ based on the cloud computing model that's used?
1: Well, first, I should say that my comments are from a legal perspective only because I'm not an IT security professional and that this is general information, not specific legal advice that would be tailored to your particular situation. But I would say, in general, it's important to start with saying, what do we really mean by cloud computing? There has been a lot of publicity around cloud computing. Some people might say there's been a lot of hype around it. And we wonder how it's really different from things we've seen in the past. ASP-type models, or even back to older variants of outsourcing, time sharing, that sort of thing. So I think it's helpful to look at sort of the gradations of how much you are turning over your services to the cloud computing vendor. I think the essential characteristics of cloud computing include the fact that it's on-demand. It's self-service to some degree, and it's somewhat elastic in terms of how much you want to have, and that's a big attraction to it, that you don't have to buy, perhaps, all the hardware that you otherwise would be buying. You've got access to a shared pool of computer resources that can be configured to suit your needs, whether that's a network or something more complicated than that. And then the pricing, finally, is based on some sort of measurement of your actual usage, and all of that is very attractive to people. So within that model, generally, people will talk about SaaS or software as a service. and there, the customer has probably the lowest level of control. They're using uh, the vendor's applications typically, and it's running on the vendor's hardware and other infrastructure elements. So at that level, you've probably given up the most control as a user, as opposed to things that are a little bit less in terms of turning over control. The customer deploying its own applications or perhaps third-party licensed applications on the vendor's infrastructure, and a third gradation where the customer really controls the operating system, storage and applications, and maybe even the firewalls, but the vendor is providing just the infrastructure, just the hardware. So depending on where you are, you want to be clear because your management and others in your organization may think of something different when you're talking about cloud computing. It could be just a private cloud where it's really only being used by your organization versus a public cloud that's being used by a lot of different customers. And for most smaller physician practices or even some hospitals, they're probably looking at a public cloud situation to get the economies of scale and to get good pricing from a major cloud computing vendor. So in terms of what security issues I think would be looked at, at least from my perspective as a lawyer, you want to make sure that you're addressing the basic HIPAA elements of security and those being confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Uh, The availability comes up because, of course, it's only going to be accessible via the Internet for the most part, and people have to get comfortable with that. I think another intertwined aspect of that is you no longer have the knowledge base in-house to the same degree as you did before. It's not the matter of necessarily being able to knock on the IT department's door and say, please fix this, or what's wrong with a particular server. A lot of times, most of it will be off-site, and you're just more dependent on a third party. So people have to get comfortable with that. With respect to confidentiality, you certainly have all of the HIPAA privacy issues to worry about, and those are just seeming to get a little bit more intense as each day goes by when we have data breaches and then resulting state laws as well as HIPAA and tech, that are requiring more and more uh, disclosure, including notice to the actual individuals when there's been some sort of a security breach. So you're going to have to worry about both federal and state um, compliance if there has been a security breach. But I don't mean to imply that cloud computing is a bad solution. In fact, for many smaller physician practices um, and perhaps even some smaller hospitals, the discipline and rigor of the uh, data backup and disaster recovery could be, in fact, a lot stronger with a good cloud computing vendor than the individual organization could do for itself. The last point I would make in this segment is to really go into a lot of due diligence at the technical level about how strong is the separation between customers, how strong are the firewalls or whatever other separations they're going to have in this general offering, assuming that there's going to be more than one customer operating perhaps on the very server that you're going to be using because you don't want to have some sort of information leakage, if you will, or have other customers have access to your data.
0: What are some of the most important legal issues involved, such as, how to retrieve remotely hosted data to comply with a discovery request or how to prove the integrity of the data?
1: I think e discovery or electronic discovery has gotten a lot of attention. Companies of all types are finding that providing information in a litigation context or an arbitration context is very time consuming and expensive. A lot of cases that are out there that are not even in healthcare that involve employment discrimination or, or things like that are actually being settled at an earlier stage because it is so costly and overwhelming to be producing all sorts of emails, let alone the types of records that we could be thinking about with respect to e-health sorts of applications or electronic health record applications. The federal courts and some of the state courts now have specific rules regarding e-discovery because they've realized it's just not the same as producing paper copies of things. And those rules require, in fact, IT professionals to get involved very early with the lawyers and with people defending the case or prosecuting the case to outline the scope of what is in fact going to be discoverable and to put electronic and other restrictions in place so that things that might be getting deleted in the ordinary course um, do not get deleted on that schedule because they're now evidence potentially in litigation. So if you think about how you're going to administer this in the context of cloud computing, you really want to get a good working understanding and document that in your contract with the vendor to say exactly what will happen if there's some sort of litigation discovery request where we have to preserve and produce this information. How much of the vendor's resources are you going to need at any particular point in time and can they wall off some information for litigation, what's known as putting a litigation hold on the data, just how will you administer that? And I think as to the other question of how to address integrity of the data, that may also require some thinking and definitely working with your inside risk management and counsel at the organization, in healthcare particularly, because things that I think are probably pretty standard in the cloud computing environment, such as reducing storage space because we're going to remove data that might be duplicated someplace else, that may make it more difficult for someone to testify on behalf of the covered entity, the customer, that nothing happened to the data and it is in fact the record. I think opposing counsel is becoming more and more savvy about this and if they can create enough question in the jury's mind that the data or the record has been tampered with or is not Completely positive to having integrity, then they may be able to sort of chip away at the um, the covered entity or hospital's uh, position and make them look bad. And sometimes in litigation and malpractice or other things, that's enough to sway someone to perhaps influence the verdict or influence the amount of money that's paid.
0: Companies remotely hosting clinical software are considered business associates and must comply with HIPAA. Uh, are there specific security provisions that should be spelled out in a business associate agreement with these vendors beyond what you would normally have in such an agreement?
1: I think good practice would suggest that we would go into more detail than we have. It's funny that business associate agreements have become fairly routine in many ways. Some of them still get negotiated, but... In my view, we really would benefit by having the appropriate technical folks really take a good hard look at what is a vendor doing, particularly in cloud computing, regarding disaster recovery, for example. Has there been a SAS 70 audit? Are there periodic testing? And and would the uh, customer be able to review the results of that testing? And on the other hand, how disruptive would the testing be potentially to the customer's day-to-day operations? So that's just one example, but that doesn't get a lot of attention in your standard business associate agreement. Under tech, which is the provisions within the um, stimulus bill, tech now puts direct obligations on business associates almost to the same degree as covered entities, and business associates have legal liability. And you probably should be making some reference to tech in those agreements to say that the Uh, Business associate is now directly covered by them and incorporates them by reference. But in terms of the the real operational side of it, I think people really should go a bit above and beyond what's in the typical BA to look at what are the unique security risks of the situation.
0: What questions should potential users ask about how the company hosting the application uses encryption?
1: I think uh, at least two questions would arise, and one is, are they using the same level of encryption as the customer or the covered entity here um, for HIPAA purposes? Because if you are outsourcing to some degree, which is really what cloud computing is, uh, you don't want to have that third party be the weak link in the chain, that everything else is encrypted but not that. There also are now more specific obligations to give notice to people if there's been some sort of security breach. and the exception to that is if the data has been encrypted at a level that meets the then-current standards that have been adopted under High Tech and may change from time to time. So you want to make sure that the vendor is doing everything at least to as high a degree, I think, as you are. It gives you almost a, an out if there has been a laptop stolen or a thumb drive that's gone missing. If the, if the data has been encrypted to that standard. You don't have to report it, and, and the thought is that the risk is pretty small. I think the flip side of the encryption issue, though, is if they were encrypting it to such a degree that it impacted adversely, really the availability of the information because, of course, the data is critical to patient care, uh, and you wouldn't even want to be without it for financial reimbursement for very long So I think the flip side of that is to really understand what the cloud computing vendor is doing regarding encryption and make sure that you think that that will give you a sufficient level of availability.
0: You mentioned this issue briefly earlier, but uh, let's go into a little bit more detail here. What should potential users ask about how data will be backed up and about how the vendor handles security in its data center?
1: I think a number of things here. Uh, One is even getting to where the data is located in terms of the country in which it's located some cloud computing vendors have significant operations offshore because it's so much cheaper to be doing things um, offshore than the united states and a lot of hospitals and physicians uh, may or may not be comfortable with that and then not every offshore country is the same i've had clients that are completely comfortable with saying. It's in the United States or it's in the vendor's well-established facilities in India, for example, where they know that they've been doing it for a number of years and they're very comfortable with a, a country risk. I mean, we've all got some threats, unfortunately, of terrorism, no matter where we are. But they may feel much more comfortable with that than they would in a country such as Pakistan, which isn't all that far away. But if the data center were new or they were just more concerned about risk, of where it's located. Another would be, you know, if you have a a region that's prone to earthquakes. You know, there's a lot of things to think about in terms of whether it goes offshore and even in this country where particularly it's located. So I would start with that and then to really delve into what's the disaster recovery planning. Is it tested? Have they shared with you a SAS 70 report? Uh, How often is it tested? Whether you can get some sort of access to the test results to find that out. As I mentioned earlier, some companies, from the customer perspective, they really don't want the testing necessarily to be very often or they want to structure it to be at their convenience where it will be the least disruptive to their operations, And which you can understand when you're doing something that's on a seven by 24 basis, such as healthcare, you don't want to have it go down with testing and sometimes it's hard to recover after testing. So I think all those things are really critical, especially given the complexity of cloud computing where the data may be moving from time to time and you don't even know from one server location to another, perhaps even internationally.
0: What kinds of provisions should be written into the contract with the vendor about what happens to the data if the company goes bankrupt or merges with another firm? We
1: have unfortunately found that some of the cloud computing vendors form contracts that people may just click on um, electronically. In fact, say that the data becomes the property of the cloud computing vendor, which is possibly an outrageous result in any set of circumstances, but particularly in healthcare, because there's so much uh, concern about data privacy, data ownership in healthcare. And it's an open question in a lot of places whether it is the property of the patient or whether perhaps it's the property of the healthcare provider. But we certainly don't want it to become the property of the vendor. And that would seem to fly in the face of many things we almost take for granted in HIPAA and business associate agreements. But you just don't want to have to fight that fight. I would suggest that in the standard contract, uh, from the customer's perspective, The customer should always be able to obtain its data whenever it wants it, not just in the event of a bankruptcy or a termination of the agreement. And people still do have fights with their vendors, unfortunately, where the vendor is holding the data hostage. And when we say you get access to your data, you want to be able to get it in a standard format that's going to be usable to you and is going to be something that you can migrate it to another vendor or bring it back in-house. So if it's somehow tied into a proprietary format of the cloud computing vendor, perhaps their particular software, uh, you want to make sure that you can use it going forward without worrying about that. The bankruptcy issues are particularly challenging, I think, because of um, the overarching spirit of the bankruptcy law, which is to try to give... Uh, bankrupt companies every chance to recover, come out of bankruptcy, and survive, and that can lead to almost some odd results. Bankruptcy law, for example, allows a bankrupt uh, vendor to cancel any kind of contract that is still operating and performance is still owed on both sides. So, for example, a services agreement where you're still paying money and the vendor is still providing services would be what's considered an executory contract and the vendor who's bankrupt could terminate that contract because perhaps it wasn't economically profitable to the vendor. Or it could just be sort of a bargaining chip that we're going to terminate this because we have the right to uh, under bankruptcy law, and we're going to then use that as an excuse to renegotiate and ask for a longer term or charge you more money. So it seems kind of amazing if you haven't heard this before, but the typical provisions in most of these contracts saying that they – can be terminated in the event of bankruptcy. That is true with respect to typically the bankrupt vendor, but you as the customer may have to go on um, honoring that contract unless the vendor has rejected it. So one of the best ways to minimize this risk as a practical matter is to be careful who you're doing contracts with in the first place. If they're publicly traded, that gets easier because you'll have access to their financial information through the Securities and Exchange Commission filings known as EDGAR. It's just a website that's open to the public. You can see their financial statements. But you also have to keep monitoring on an ongoing basis whether they're still in financial good health and be mindful of the fact that you may need to move to another vendor. This may sound kind of biased in favor of the bigger players, and I don't mean it to. It's just kind of a fact of life that companies are not all necessarily doing well, especially in this recession, and we have to be mindful of whether there's going to be financial problems with them. In terms of mergers and acquisitions of vendors, you certainly would want to make sure contractually that the security requirements you've negotiated in your contract and any kind of service-level agreements or SLAs will continue to be binding on a company that acquires it. And you wouldn't want them to be able to force you onto a new version of software, for example, if it's that complete a cloud computing situation, whether you're also using their software. So that goes to more maintenance and support agreements and the length of time that you've got their commitment. So in all those respects, you may be able to negotiate to get some early termination rights yourself, or sometimes you can get an early termination right if in fact the company providing the services now is acquired by someone or merges with someone who is one of your competitors. Um, you see this in the insurance industry fairly frequently that they're happy to deal with a third party, but if that third party were acquired by uh, a competing insurance company, they really wouldn't want all their information being hosted effectively by a competitor.
0: Okay. Well, thanks very much, Marilyn. We've been talking today with Marilyn Lamar of Liss and Lamar. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening.